Hello, and welcome to The Staffing Show, the only podcast that delivers tools, tips, and tactics from the staffing and recruiting industry's top executives and thought leaders. This episode of The Staffing Show is brought to you by MetaView. MetaView is the AI assistant for interviewing. It completely eradicates the need for recruiters to take notes during interviews because their AI is designed to take world-class interview notes for you. The result? You are saved from the toil of note-taking and can instead spend time on what actually matters, getting maximum signal from candidates, then providing clients with beautifully written, world-class insights about candidates. It also means your organization has 10 times better data about every candidate you speak to because you're no longer relying on people to remember everything that was discussed and submit accurate notes. Unlike humans, MetaView never gets tired, doesn't forget anything, and structures the notes perfectly. Recruiting leaders at companies like Robinhood and Genentech and firms like Stan Chase and the Coit Group describe MetaView as a game changer for their efficiency and ability to have high-quality interactions with candidates. Head over to metaview.ai slash staffing show to get started with five interviews for free. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Staffing Show. Today, I'm super excited to be joined by Chris Sund, who is the president of Unimed Staffing. Chris, thanks so much for being on the show. Super excited to have a conversation with you today. To kick things off, could you go ahead and give us a little bit about your background and how you got into healthcare staffing? Thanks, Dave. First off, I'm really excited to be on the show. I've been in healthcare staffing for a little around 10 years, last decade, and I've had a wide variety of roles, everything from recruiting to account managing and managing sales teams. And that eventually led me to Unity Med. We are a healthcare staffing company that really focuses on travel nursing, travel allied, long-term care, as well as our local tenants division. That's great. And, and tell us a little bit about what your journey was like to getting to a spot where you're now the, the president of Unity Med. Great question. Prior to this, at my last company, I uh, worked in over a sales division. I helped create a business development team. And then at that company, I helped collaborate and create our MSP. And it gave me a wide background on a variety of different, different departments, leading people. And when we created the MSP, it was such a different process than how we ran. So we were trying to figure out how do you take other companies' candidates and put them through a process where you're not working with your own team, you're working with a bunch of other companies, sales employees, and their compliance and billing. And it gave me a great opportunity to learn a lot more about the business. I was given a really good opportunity by our founder, Rich Anderson, that created Unity Med. He had also been a part of creating Fusion Medical Staffing, Atlas Med Staffing, and Ventura Healthcare prior to uh, launching Unity Med. And after some talks back and forth to him, I decided to take a leap and help come over and, and run this company. Well, that's really great. And tell me a little bit about the mission of Unity Med. You know, our, our real mission is to be a heart-led staffing company that impacts the lives of our travelers, our clients, our business partners, and ourselves. And so that, that heart, you can see it in our logo. We really wanted to create a company that wasn't about the pricing strategy, wasn't 100% about just technology taking over. It's really about the experience of the people we work with, building a community 
in not treating everyone like a transaction, understanding the value and appreciation of everyone we work with and building a company off those relationships. Yeah, and, and uh, I mean, you and I have done webinars together and talked quite a bit. And so I've seen firsthand what your culture looks like and heard it from you. And you do a lot of things that are quite a bit different when it comes to focusing on the employee culture and your company culture. Could you share a few of those specific items? Anything that you think stands out from your perspective? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think the very first thing that stands out is when it came over, we we started building out a leadership team and kind of identifying the key leaders we needed to hire over the next year or two. And we made a decision to bring in a director of culture before any of our other leadership hires. And a lot of people had said, why not the compliance and HR? But we knew from the very beginning that if we could create a place that employees can be the best version of themselves, that we really felt we were going to accomplish our mission. And we can reciprocate that to everyone we worked with. And so we invested in Director of Culture. Michaela Zimmer is absolutely amazing addition to this leadership team. And it's a huge part of why our culture is as good as it is. And then we started listening to feedback. What can we do to make employees be the best version of themselves? What are we doing from a benefits standpoint, from an office offerings, from employee developments? What are we doing for, to keep them healthy in their mind and their spirit and their soul? And so, yeah, I guess if I get into specifics, our kitchen, we, we cater in lunch a lot. We stock a lot of snacks. There's really probably no reason to ever go hungry. Um, <laughs> you're in this office. We put a gym in part of our building and built a fitness center. So we had a place that they could go work out. We have a meditation room we installed. So when they just need to get away, they can. We installed a mother's room in here. Those were a couple off the top of my head. Yeah, that, that's amazing. So, I mean, it sounds like you're really putting your employees first and really thinking about what sets them up to thrive in the working environment. And one of the things that I would love to have you talk about, and I've, the first time I heard this from you, I was just blown away by it, but the uh, one hour of gratitude that you do is something that really, I hear people talk about gratitude journals, I hear people talk about doing it in the morning and individually, and not a lot of employers bring it into the workplace, or at least not like what you kind of shared with this. Could you kind of explain what the one hour of gratitude is? Yeah, I'll start with how we came to one hour, an hour of gratitude. And it started with our own internal employee MVP meeting. So every Friday, we do a company-wide MVP meeting and the, our coworkers nominate someone that is showing our, our values and really going above and beyond. And that time has been proven to be so impactful. And the, the last Friday, we've had four interns that have been here now for the summer. And they shared, they created a little video of their experience. And then they shared in front of the whole company during our meeting, the impact it's made on them. And I tell you what, I mean, I, I like thinking about what they said. I was so proud that it was hard to hold back the emotions and I could look around the room and you could feel like how big of a deal it was. And um, that's what the MVP meeting is about. Sometimes people don't get seen because it's not a sales thing they did. You know, they're just helping somebody. And it, 
those are the people, those heroes that deserve to get recognized in front of the company. And we saw how big of an impact it was making across each other. That the idea is what are we going to do though for our travelers and our clients and our business partners? And so we, every Friday, we just dedicate an hour to end the week of telling people how much we care about them and sharing our gratitude for them. I think that's, that's such an incredible practice and there's all kinds of data behind gratitude and, you know, how it helps with happiness and uh, reduces depression, helps with engagement. There's just like all the, all the data that goes behind it and people I think do it so consistently. It's an individual effort, but bringing that into the workplace, I think is really, really fantastic. So I, I think that's a, a unique thing that you guys do that I think is pretty special. So we're going to shift gears a little bit from your company culture, zoom out. What changes have you seen in the healthcare staff and industry over the last decade? And what are some of the trends that you're currently seeing today? Oh, great question. <laughs> you know, I, I think it's pretty safe to say if, if I went back 10 years, you look, the need for the staffing shortage was just going to keep increasing year after year. Remember sharing data pre-pandemic on the next 10 years The staffing shortage was just going to continue getting worse than where we're at today. And what are we going to do to be, to help with that, those workforce solutions. And then we hit the pandemic and I felt like from 2020 to 2022, I felt like we jumped maybe five to seven years forward. And you saw people that were close to retiring, retiring early. You saw people just completely quit the field altogether and go into another line of work. And it kind of jumped to where I felt like the shortage would have been in, like I said, 2025, 2026 predictions. Now we reset and we look at it and we're still in this spot where where we're at today, there's thousands of jobs open all over our country, especially rural locations which have always primarily been impacted with staffing shortages. And there is not a statistic saying there's a healthcare profession that we won't have a worse shortage 10 years from now. So there's a continuing growing need of healthcare professionals. And once again, especially in these rural locations to get people to these towns that maybe no one's ever heard of before. And that's kind of where we we, uh, shine and step in. Yeah, it, it is interesting to hear, and you were, and I have talked about this a little bit, but I, from so many staffing agency owners, they're like, wow, it's gotten really tough this year. But if you just zoom out, just if you zoom out far enough, it still looks pretty good. It kind of looks like a little lull in an overall long kind of upward trend. <laughs> so it's definitely not the market that we've we've been in, in the past. You talked a little bit about the rural areas and that being a specialty of kind of where you guys focus. What are some things that you do differently to make sure that you're succeeding in rural areas and getting placements for those hospitals? It's a great question. I think first off, it's making sure we're building relationships with those rural hospitals and taking the time to understand their unique needs, not just from a, we need this shift, but understanding the culture of that hospital and the community. And then taking that time to know that and then explain that to to the travelers, why it would be a good place for them to go. I don't think anyone says they want to go work at a place that has a bad culture or that isn't going to travel well. 
And not every place is equal. And so it takes us learning that. I've seen small towns that, you know, are these hospitals. There's a couple thousand people in the town. There isn't a major grocery store close to them. And yet they're some of the best hospitals people have ever worked at. They know their name when they walk through the door. They treat them like like family. They're so grateful to have them there helping them out that they treat them accordingly. And then we take time to learn what is there to do in that area? Because I've been fascinated to learn there's so many amazing places to go explore and find adventure in this country that it may not be in that town, but you start zooming out a little bit. And within an hour to two hours, there's so many things that you can go do and see. And so it's kind of learning that, you know what? Yeah, we'd love to go to Nashville. We understand why, but they may not have a lot of need right now. And it costs a lot of money to stay there for three months. But I might have a town an hour or so away from Nashville. And that small town, the cost of living is extremely affordable. It's a well-reputable hospital. And you can take you know, the extra money you're making helping that little hospital out and go have a lot of fun in Nashville and, and all your time off. Yeah, that's, that's great. So it sounds like you're with the, I don't know, maybe higher competition on jobs, on getting placements today. You're, you're focusing on rural areas, building relationships with the hospitals, and then kind of focusing on the benefits of the rural areas and selling that into and communicating that to the travelers. Is that a, a fair assessment of that? It definitely is. During, I like to talk about the pandemic because it, it was just a different market where I refer to it like it's like walking into a store on Black Friday you could pretty much find any hospital and there's a need in any location. You could say, I would be willing to go here. And now it's not that way. Now it's here's the locations that really are looking for help in their communities. And how do we get people there? And it's just taking the time to find the people that go, yeah, you know what? I want to travel because I want to make an impact in these hospitals and I'm, I'm doing this because I do want to gain new experiences. I want to explore. I want the adventure. When we find the right person that's looking for that, then we're kind of able to start mashing them up with all those experiences they can have over a career. Yeah, that, that's great. And are there um, other things that you've been doing in this kind of fewer jobs, higher competition, other activities that you've been doing, whether it be working with the VMS or MSP to increase submittal rates, anything on that front? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. All the above. Once yeah. again, getting back to those relationships, it's taking the time to get FaceTime with all of our partners, understanding, asking them for their feedback. What can we do better? How do we improve with you guys? Making sure that when we say we send somebody, they're starting on time, that they're doing the full contract, that they're being asked to stay. And then it's, you have to be submitting to way more than you used to because there's such a higher amount of competition right now per the amount of jobs out there. You can't just pick one or two jobs and think you're going to get an interview. It's really north of 10 different jobs to probably get an interview on, on an average. Now there's some positions. Yeah. If you're high in demand and there's, not a lot of you out there. It can be low, but I'd say across the board, if I just took a bulk average, it's definitely north of 10 job submissions to get 
can offer. And, and how does that compare to a year ago or two years ago? Oh man, uh, <laughs> significantly higher. And in, in some specialties, it could be almost double the amount of okay. places you'd have to be open to traveling to. I mean, there was times that there was just four times the amount of jobs compared to the amount of people that were going out there. So yeah, I've heard anywhere you know, from- I could auto offer somebody and <laughs> instead of now where there could be 20, 30 candidates going in for one position. They're going to pick the top resumes, the least amount of time off, and then narrow that down to maybe a handful and then pick one out yeah. of the 30. So I've heard anywhere from like two to five X the number of submittals that you need to make to get the placement. So effort to placement has gone up. And this is, this actually spans outside of Ferdinand healthcare and then also it I heard that quite a bit as well. So with that and kind of some of the changes that we've had in the last couple of years, especially this year, I think it's been a major shift, but what are some of the steps that you've taken with your team to make sure that you guys are focused in the right area on the things that are continue, going to continue to drive growth for you? Great question. It comes down to our training and our employment. And uh, it's taken the strategy of knowing here's really where the jobs are at. And we're not doing our job if we're not consulting the people we're working with and making sure they're aware of the changes, what it's like, what is a travel career really look like. And so it's taking the time to consult, to explain to them what's out there. Because, you know, the, the worst thing we could do for somebody is just think for the short gain that we have somebody that wants a job and we have that job. Well, in a perfect world, let's say that that ideal location is there and they work for three months and that place no longer has a need and no one in the vicinity does. Now, what are you going to do? You know, are you willing to go back to your old job? Are you willing to go somewhere else? And so it's taking the time to understand what they're looking for and painting that picture that we're not just looking to get you here today, but after that, we want to make sure that there's plenty of things that sound appealing to you that you want to continue doing this over and over and over again. And so it sounds like really digging in, and I hear this as a theme throughout everything. It's like focusing in on the individual, the relationship, making sure that you're serving somebody's needs and you understand them well. It's kind of at the cornerstone for making sure that you're, you're putting the effort in the right place. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, these are people's careers, it's their livelihoods. And I tell people, our team a lot, we talk about it. We would never hire any internal employee other than, you know, our internships would be the exception of the rule. Some applied said, I just want to come in and work for three months and then leave. You would look at it another candidate. And why yeah. would you take somebody's career if we know there's a good chance they can only work there for three months and we might not have an option for them after that? It's just not a, a smart partnership for either of us, unless they agree that that's what they're looking for. They're just looking for so one time. Yeah. That's great. We'll do that all day long. But for somebody that's looking for something longer than that, we need to be honest with them and really start talking about what's, what's it look like after this job. Yeah, that, that's insightful. And then with that, we've kind of jumped over this at the beginning, but your growth rate for your company has been absolutely insane. Your revenue growth rate, I think it was over 600% last year. And so I think as we're going through some of these components, it's worth noting that you've figured some things out in terms of how to drive growth for your business. 
one of the things that you just commented on there, it sounds like you're very focused on redeployment rates as well, and maybe even starting off the conversation with a focus on the redeployment of like, hey, we're not just here for one assignment, we're going to line you up for two or three. Is that part of the, the recruiting strategy that you put in place too? It absolutely is. If you are focused on just filling jobs and taking the jobs, seeing a candidate that would go there and focus on that instead of the next next career path for them, you're going to spin your, your wheels in the mud. If you're not retaining your staff and keeping them working for you, multiple assignments, then you're going to spend all your effort continuing to always find new, 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 new. And so a, a big piece is what are we doing to get people that want to work for us long time? And then how do we create an experience that makes them not want to go work for any other company that makes them want to stay loyal to Unity Men? That's great. And, and you've talked a lot about the relationship, understanding their needs. Are there other areas in terms of creating that experience that you that are, are special or unique that you'd be willing to share? I'm not trying, I, don't want to, I don't want you to share all your secret sauce, but... <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy to share and I'll give like some granular details and I'll kind of give like a big picture. So, you know, every year we have a thematic goal. And in when I explain that to people is our mission always stays the same. The values that drive us stay the same. But as you grow as a person, as a company, you know, you should have seasonal things that, you know, would get you to your mission. And so while last year we, we focused a lot on building a, a strong foundation, this year it was how do we create an experience for our business partners, our travelers, and our clients that makes them choose Unity Med over everyone else. And so when we, we say this as a thematic goal, every quarter our leadership team meets in their department and they have to come up with the top two to three ways that they're going to make that impact. And so it's not just how is sales making the experience better. It's how does our compliance team make the experience better? How does HR, onboarding, payroll, finance, because every bit of them, from the time they make their first call, they have an issue, anytime they need anything, that's part of that whole experience. And so we started, every department dives in. And because of that, we've added really amazing benefits. Some were a cost to the company. I feel like some weren't. You know, I have employees that feel they understand the importance of this. And they will make phone calls and say, I just got all of our travelers a better deal on, on working out and a national discount. Or I reached out because I know this would be something that helps out. And everyone feels bought in to saying, how do we make everything we can do better? So that, that's the bigger approach. And some of the feedback we got in domestic partnership was one that I, I feel ashamed to say we didn't have prior. That was no brainer. It really falls with our values that we should offer that. And we turned that on immediately. And then we heard about other things that we could be offering and go, let's get that turned on. What are we doing to make sure when they're onboarding, it is as smooth as possible, you know, whether that's implementing better technology or just changing our process altogether. That's really great. And, um, Jumping to the next question I've got here is uh, what lessons have you learned in the last couple of years that you really wish you knew today? So things that you've maybe market changes, but you're like, man, if I had known that, I could have avoided these catastrophes or some of these challenges. 
Ooh, that is a really good question. Go back and change some of the decisions. You know, honestly, I feel like any of the decisions that I would maybe consider looking differently really centers around people more than anything. If you have the right people in the right spots that are bought into your mission and are really looking at how do they make everyone around them add value to their lives, it really, I feel like the pieces work out. And so there's times we really understand it. Like you understand the sacrifice someone makes to come here. And so we want to make sure we're giving everything we can to set them up. And I, I would say there's sometimes that we realize that the relationship probably wasn't healthy for both parties. And that either just what we love to do here as our company, maybe is it something that they passionately love to do as a career. And that's completely great and okay. And we want those people to find something that they love to do every day. And I think there was times that we so badly wanted to make it work and wanted to make sure we'd done everything to make it work, that we kind of hung on to a relationship right longer than we should have. So if I could go back, I think I would continue to remind ourselves to just have those open on conversations more frequently and make sure that what we're looking for, what we want and what they really want aligns well. And do you integrate or do anything uh, unique when it comes to the selection process? Are you, are you very slow to hire and methodical about that as well? We really are. We've been really blessed the last six months to a year on the amount of people that have applied to work for us. I haven't looked in the last few weeks, but at one point, I think we had 500 applicants since last October. So not quite a year, which is amazing because we've added not even a couple percents. So we narrow that, that down and we've really tried to have the leadership team look at if we're hiring one spot that they would talk to the best five that they could see. And then even at that point, get other forms of leadership involved, do assessments. The rule has been, if you don't walk out of the room going, you have to have this person and you know that they're going to make the company better. Like, you know, when you got that hire and you're like, our whole company's better because of that person. Yeah. Like they, they, I don't think be two weeks into here. And I always go, that person is going to make this company better. Yeah. It's yeah. yeah. And you know that. And if you walk out of the room and go, I think they can do this. It's the biggest no I've ever heard. There's no, <laughs> I think, you know, when yeah. You walk out yeah, yeah. You're like we have to have this person. And so don't settle for anything less than we have to have this person. I love that. That reminds me of, there's an article about this. Decisions should either be an F yes I want, or a no. Yes. <laughs> should either be like a hundred percent I'm in or a no. If it's, if there's any wishy-washy, if you're in the middle, it's just moving into the no category. And I, I will say that my own personal experience with hiring, uh, with joining teams, having people join teams is like every time there's a red flag early on, six months down the road, a year down the road, two years down the road, that red flag ends up popping back up and you're like, Okay. <laughs> like yes. we, we ignored that. We knew, <laughs> we knew we had hesitation. We ignored that hesitation and here we are. And uh, I just second that advice so much. 
So one, one category, we didn't jump into a bunch here, but is on the business development side, you've spent a lot of your career there. You have some ex- expertise. What's your business development strategy look like? Great question. One of my favorite areas. I think the best thing you do in business development is it probably varies, but for us, we've really leaned heavily into smaller rural communities and we've taken the approach we're constantly calling. We're finding out, you know, sometimes we don't know that they are partnered with one of our business partners, in which case we make sure we do what we can to, to support that business partner. And then there's other times where they prefer to work directly with the companies. And we found a lot of benefit in attending conferences. Not all conferences are equal. And there's some out there that I would say we went to and lesson learned and get a lot of value. But there's something about going to the right conference that has the right audience and getting to meet them face to face, hear about what they care about, what matters to them. And then see what we can do to help support them with any of the problems they're having with their staffing. And that's done really well for us. But it's also just been picking up the phone, calling the places, taking time to get to know them the same way. And if for us, it is a critical part of our business strategy is to build relationships with all these hospitals, decision makers. And have you put more, I mean, I know, this year, we hear a lot of customers saying like business development is a, a key initiative. Are you hiring more in that area? Have you bulked up the team or have you made changes? Yep. We've added to the team and we, you know, we have a, I assume most companies do it this way. We have a dedicated team that does business development and that is all they do is just reach out to find business opportunities and then give it to someone to run. With that said, anybody that runs accounts is also doing business development. So all of our client managers that are currently working with their current clients, their biggest way to help grow is by getting new clients. So they also are taking time, getting to know everybody, focusing on not just, I like to say farming the relationship, but going out and finding new business for themselves as well. That's that's really great. And um, we're going to kind of shift gears a a couple of times here for the last set of questions. So the other area that, and I know you've been very tech forward, but could you share some of the effects that technology you're seeing it have on healthcare staffing? And then do you have any stories specific to UnityMed about how you're leveraging technology as well? Absolutely. I'm sure people have heard me say this once or twice before, but (laughs) I tell every new hire when they start here that we are not looking for technology to replace our recruiters. I really believe solely on the experience and value our recruiters are able to give. However, we are trying to turn our recruiters into superheroes. And so we're trying to create some Ironmen here that can use technology to do their job way more efficiently. And so we've had, you know, I'm happy to share some of the technologies that worked really well for us. Definitive Healthcare has been a really great ability. The data that they're able to provide for us has made it extremely quicker for us to locate where are the smaller rural hospitals who's on their team? Are these somebody that would be smart for us to partner with versus the legwork it would, it would have took for us to find that same information. Staffing referrals has been amazing for us. You know, a big part of our revenue growth 
was focusing in on referrals as a lead source. It is currently in our top two for 2023 for our lead sources and being able to use, it's so simple concept to take, you know, anybody can ask for referrals, but more often than not, we don't, we forget to ask, or we don't ask enough to to really get the full amount of referrals that that person might be capable of. And so that technology has really allowed us to bring in a lot more leads and some of the better leads that I think we have. Uh, What are some of the other ones? We use Sense, Sense Automation. If you're not using some form of automation in journeys, you should be. So, yeah, once again, let's make our our recruiters work more efficiently. And, and there's so many tasks that you can take away that, you know, are not a good use of their time. RefAssured is another good one. Calling references when they're hospital leaders who are already extremely busy and thinking that's a good way to get references, it's not. So using technology to make it so mindless and easy for the people we're trying to get the reference from is improve the speed time, the quality. It just does not make sense for me to have people calling and doing that when the technology does it far superior than we ever could. It's faster, easier, and better data. <laughs> it's like an yes. easy, easier approach there. Rough assured is a no-brainer if you're in healthcare. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Awesome. So we're going to jump to the final set of questions, kind of speed round. So in the last five years, what new belief, behavior, or habit has most improved your life? Oh, that's a really hard question. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to go with that. I really believe it's my personal mission, and that is to help make people the best version of themselves. And so that is my personal guiding principle. It's big part of what we try to do here, that if every day I can find ways to add value to someone else, I think that's the biggest impact I can make. That's great. And uh, what is one of the best or most worthwhile investments you've ever made? Could be an investment of money, time, energy, et cetera. Cool. I'm going to circle back to what I said earlier, an investment, adding a director culture to our leadership team, prioritizing culture, not just by adding a leader, but as a priority initiative that we have real goals that's discussed on a regular weekly basis on how are we doing and being true to yourself and finding ways to improve. I would say that has been hands down one of the best investments. I love hearing that. And you're the second person on this podcast who's also had a, another person who's had a extremely rapid growth trajectory who started there similar to you. So I want to second that advice as well. What are the bad recommendations you hear in healthcare staffing? Ooh, bad recommendations. That's a good question. I think it's trying to throw everything at the wall and hoping it sticks. I really think you're better off to hone in and focus on certain things and do it at a really high level. And then if you want to expand those services, do so later. But instead of being, no offense, Cheesecake Factory, but instead of being the person that just tries to say you do everything and put the whole menu out there, 
being known for doing certain things really well. I don't believe in just throwing everything at the wall and just saying you do it all. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, last question I've got for you is what is the book or books you've given most as a gift and why? So that's a good one. I think it definitely depends on the person, which book it is and why. I'm a huge lover of Jocko Willink, Extreme Ownership and the Follow-Up Academy of Leadership. So when somebody is it's looking for more leadership development, I tend to lean that way. The other one I really love is if I'm just looking for somebody and they're looking for how to take it to the next level, and I think it applies to everyone, there's a series of books by this author, and they're all very similar, but Chop Wood, Carry Water, and Pound the Stone, and You Win in the Dark are all by Joshua Metcalf. They're very simple fable stories that teach extremely amazing lessons that are easy to read for everyone. It's They're one of those books that I'm like, ah, I wish I could get all my, my own boys to read these. If you ever just need like, tell people like a cup of coffee for your life, I feel like they're short, simple reads that give you that jolt of motivation. To do that was more. Chopped Wood by Joshua Metcalf? Yeah, Chopped Wood, Carry Water. Carry Water. Okay, awesome. I appreciate that. Well, thank you so much for being on, Chris. I really enjoyed this conversation. I appreciate you joining today and sharing all of your insights with our audience. Absolutely. Likewise, Dave, I appreciate being on here. And I tell you what, I need to hear some more of the books that you've heard. And if you could send me that article you mentioned earlier about F this and no to that, um, <laughs> I will. let I will. me know. I definitely want to read that. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to The Staffing Show. Don't forget to sign up for our newsletter at staffinghub.com to never miss an episode. Until next time.